0: How do you measure success? The world has its own standards for measuring success. We find standards for measuring success in business. We find standards for measuring success in the education system. Uh, We find standards for measuring success in any number of fields and industries. But how do you measure success? Paul, as an apostle, as we return to our study of 2nd Corinthians, finds those who have their own way of looking at success. These worldly standards, Paul says, for measuring success. And there are times in the history and the life of the congregation there at Corinth and in other places where there are folks that sometimes want to measure success based on a worldly standard and not on a spiritual thing. And as Paul is talking to Christians in 2 Corinthians, and he's talking to them about the fact that they have obeyed him, they followed their instructions for the most part, evidently there are some, still in Corinth, who are trying to be divisive in the church, still trying to cause problems in the church, and if you read the entire book of 2 Corinthians from chapter 1 to the end of the chapter, you will find an abrupt shift, so to speak. In chapter 10, where Paul now begins to address those who seem to still be wanting to cause the divisiveness in the church. Wanting to talk about what is success, claiming success, and yet causing division. We want to look this morning at what Paul has to say about robbing churches and how to play to the mindset of those in the church at Corinth for causing problems. We want to think about the standard of judgment used some in the world to measure success. We want to think about Paul's goals as an evangelist in contrast to those worldly standards and then think about lessons for how we as a church today can measure success. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We want to begin, as I mentioned, by considering the worldly standards that some in Corinth evidently were wanting to use to measure success. We're going to be looking at chapters 10 and 11 this morning. Notice what Paul says as we begin looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1 and those worldly standards. Paul says... Now, I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some, who regard us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience, Whenever your obedience is complete, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ's, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Did you notice the tension in Paul's writing? Did you notice how Paul begins to address the conflict and the disobedience and the boastfulness apparently that existed among some in Corinth? There are some in the Corinthian church that were speaking against Paul after Callus, defaming them. You see a hint of that as Paul sarcastically begins. I, Paul, write to you, speak to you with meekness and gentleness. The one who is meek and gentle, when with you face to face, The powerful when absent, seems to hint that maybe that was what some of them were saying. Oh, he talks a good talk when he writes his letter. But when he's here, he's not. You can almost hear some of those things being said about Paul. By some, in the church, they're in Corinth. And you also see, see that Paul seems to allude to the fact that there were some in Corinth that were being obedient to the things that as an apostle, inspired by God, he had written them and taught them and instructed them about their obedience not yet being complete and dealing with the disobedience when he gets there. And so this section of the letter clearly is talking about conflict within the church there and having to rectify those things. And yet he says, he even uses the word warfare. Can you imagine the unity in a church where Paul talks about the fact that there has to be warfare in that church, in that congregation there at Corinth? But he says, look, guys, our weapons of warfare aren't physical weapons of warfare. They're divinely powerful things. As an apostle, Paul had some abilities to do some things miraculously that we don't have today. And he's hinting here at the fact, I don't want to have to use those things. And later on in this letter, he's going to talk about the fact, don't make me use the miraculous gifts that God has given me. For discipline, so let me use them for building you up. And so he hints at that here by talking about the standards or the, the nature, of the warfare that he could bring as an apostle. But yet he says, when I come, we're going to take every thought captive. He says, you are looking at things from a worldly perspective. He says, you are looking at things that if we walked according to the flesh." And so this idea of worldliness and these worldly standards. Think about some of the charges that evidently were against Paul. Number one, Paul talks about, chapter 11 and verse 7. He says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you with out, chart. And that's an interesting statement. Evidently there were some in Corinth that were upset that Paul did not receive his support from them. He received it from some other sources. He received financial support from the church at Philippi, for instance. We know in his writing to the church at Philippi. But you see, Corinth was just a day's walk, a day's journey, to Athens, the seat of Greek intellectuals for a number of years, a number of centuries, since the time of Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. There was a group within Greek society known as the Socrates. That's where we get the word Socrates. And the sophists believed they were kind of like the attorneys of the day. When you think about all negative attorney jokes, for the Greeks, they lawyer jokes, they were tough jokes. <clears throat> but the sophists were a group of people that were trained in public speaking and they prided themselves on being able to take any issue and being able to speak persuasively and equally effectively on both sides of that issue. You want to hire me to speak against it? I can do that and we'll win. You want me to speak for you? I can do that and we can can win. And so the standard in Greek society was if you are a successful, effective speaker, you can charge however much... And evidently, based on Second Corinthians chapter eleven and verse seven, there were some that were saying, "Look, Paul doesn't even charge us for speaking." That tells you how bad he is. That tells you how little he made. seems to be. What's hinted at here. Whatever the case, there were some that were arguing. We can't listen to Paul. We don't need to listen to Paul. He doesn't even charge speaking when he's here. And for them, that was a source of pride. And maybe there were some that were saying, look how dynamic of a speaker I am. Look how good I am. Look how much I can charge. You need to be listening to me. Paul was not a rhetorically trained speaker in the very way that the Greeks would have that word rhetorically trained. Verse 6, chapter 11. He says, But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. The focus was on his presentation style, not his substance. There were some, they were saying, Look how untrained, unskilled Paul is. I don't know what it was like to sit in a sermon presented by Paul. But apparently, he didn't match up to those who were formally trained in rhetoric and giving public presentations. Like inquiring for words. And so Paul says, you know what, even though I don't have that professionally trained skill, I do have knowledge. Because the knowledge came from God. And his point is, you need to listen to the substance. And not get wrapped up in dynamic speaking. Or professionally trained speakers. Paul did not ask the Corinthians to pay this salary. Look at chapter 12 and verse 13. He says, For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. There were some that felt slighted by the fact that Paul would not let them pay him for his teaching, for his preaching. And that's not to say that Paul did not receive funds as you've already mentioned from other churches. But there's some in that church that was a sign that he didn't know what he was talking about. That was a sign for some that they shouldn't be listening to. Uh, that was a sign for some that he was trying to insult them or demean them. He says, I didn't exploit you. And neither did Titus, who Paul sent, exploit them. Still in chapter 12, look at verses 17 and 18. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go to you. I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? And so, some who were saying that they were being exploited, that, uh, that, that Paul didn't really know what he was talking about, that, that Paul wasn't worth anything simply because he received his financial support from other sources. They were upset about that. Again, chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. Paul says in Psalms, boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I'm just as bold myself. And he goes on to talk about some other things, about his authority as an apostle, and how you can know he has authority. But you see, there were some there that evidently were filling in that vacuum, were taking advantage of that vacuum, that Paul was being supported from other sources, and they were coming in. They were taking those funds. They were taking advantage of the church. And claiming he shouldn't listen to that. He doesn't want really to be talking. And so Paul says that's looking at success from a worldly standpoint. How much can you demand as a speaker? Paul says that's not success. That's not a godly standard of success. That's a worldly way of looking at success. Paul says to preach in style without much substance. Is not a godless standard. That's a worldly thing. Again, we've already mentioned, chapter eleven, verse six. They called themselves evidently with great power and in, in, in a direct way called themselves apostles, but they weren't really apostles. Look at chapter eleven, and verse. First of all, he hints at it. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Now, if we just stop there and pull that verse out of text. We might think that Paul's maybe comparing himself to Peter. Maybe there is a ranking uh, or a, a, a fame for certain ones of the apostles. But as we read the chapter, we realize that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not comparing himself to Peter or John or any of the other apostles. But to claim to be apostles, not really. Look at chapter 12 and verse 11. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles even though I am a nobody again the idea that there were some who were claiming to be apostles that he wasn't that he was not an eminent apostle uh, look at uh, also chapter 11 and verse uh, 13 uh, Paul says for such men are false apostles deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ No wonder, for even Satan distinguishes himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So evidently, what you had in Corinth is you had some that claimed to be apostles who weren't really apostles. And they were saying, look, Paul Paul can't even speak as well as we can. Therefore, he's not really an apostle. And look how well we can speak. We're the true apostles, we're the ones who've got to speak to, it, or ought to listen to. It. And Paul says, looking at worldly standards, not true standards, not godly standards. And so Paul says, Jesus because of its source. It comes from God. Again, chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive in the obedience to Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Whatever these false apostles were teaching, Paul says... When I get there, we're going to take those thoughts captive. We're going to address those things that are being taught, that are not accurate, that are not correct. And you're going to see the truth. You're going to see, based on godly standards, what it is you ought to be doing and teaching as a church and as God's people. Don't judge things in worldly standards. How much can someone demand because of his... Speaking ability. Paul says, my source of information comes from God itself and you're going to see that. Paul says, one standard of judgment that maybe some will look to is the building of the church, the size of the church, the amount of work that someone might boast. Look at chapter 10 in 2 Corinthians, verses 12 following. Paul says, for we are not, for we are not bold class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. For when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure, to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. And so perhaps Paul is talking here about those who are commending about the work they had done, commending themselves about perhaps the growth of the church, commending themselves perhaps by the number of folks that they had brought in and led to Christ. He doesn't really say. But he says these men were commending themselves, saying, look how great I am. Comparing themselves to themselves. Look at all the work I've done. Paul says, that's not anything to boast about. You should be boasting God. Boasting in what God has accomplished. Paul says, my basis was to come and plant the church there in Corinth. That's what I've decided to do. That's what I've tried to do. And I was able to do that. Now I go on to other places... Doing the same thing. I'm not boasting in the labor that other men have done. I believe. I did my part. Other people are doing their part. I don't have to boast. The things that they've accomplished. Paul says, that's not my purpose. And when you look at things by a worldly standards, you look and you commend yourself and you say, look at all the great things I've done. Paul says, that's not a godly standard. You're both used to being God. Look what God has done. And you just keep busy doing your work. And so you have these problems in Corinth. Paul... He does want to be successful in bringing people to God. He says again, verse 15, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other means, labors, but with the hope that, is your, that, your, that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. Paul says, I, I want to be able to boast. Boast in how you grow in your knowledge and faith of God. Not boasting in and of ourselves, I believe Paul is saying, but boasting in what God has accomplished among you boasting in how you've grown, not because of our own work, but being glad that you've grown. And so those were some things that people were saying evidently against Paul, criticizing Paul, criticizing his work, because they were judging by worldly standards. This is but there's a danger in looking at things by worldly standards and measuring success. One of those dangers is being deceived by false and Purity before Jesus Christ. Being led astray from our devotion to Christ, even as Eve was deceived by the serpent. Look at chapter 11, verse 3. Paul says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray by the simplicity and purity of of devotion to Christ. I'm afraid that as you look at things by a worldly standard, you're going to be deceived, just as Eve was deceived, to be led away from the simplicity of Christ. One of the dangers that we have when we tend to measure success based on worldly standards is that we are deceived, and that deception leads us away from the simplicity of Christ and our devotion to Christ. I was speaking with someone, and they talked about worshiping uh, some place where it's a great, wonderful thing activities, a feeling of being upbeat, uplifted. There's certainly nothing wrong leaving a worship service feeling encouraged. But we have a mindset in our culture today that says if I'm not entertained, if I'm not encouraged, if I'm not pumped up, I'm not satisfied. And we forget how often in the Old Testament and in the New Testament We see of the dangers of a lack of knowledge of God's will. God tells the people of Israel in the book of Hosea, you don't know me. The priest doesn't know me. The prophet doesn't know me. The people don't know me. There's a danger in not knowing God. Paul says, the message I gave for you was so that you would grow, so that you would mature. We need to recognize that when we look at things by a worldly standard, we can be deceived and led away from the simplicity and purity of the message of Christ. There is a danger also of our own perceptions of ourselves. Paul says and chapter 11, verse 19. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish so gladly. Again, if we back up into verse 16, he says, Again, I say, let no one thank me foolish, but if you do, receive me, receive me even as foolish, so that I may also boast a little. What I'm saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness in this confidence of boasting, since many Boasting according to the flesh, will boast also. In other words, he says, since this is what you're boasting in, let me get down to a level you can understand. He says, for you, being so wise, tolerate foolishness. Verse 20, for you tolerate it. If anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, or if anyone hits you in the face their perception of themselves. Look how wise we are. Look how great we are. Paul says, really you become foolish. Because by taking on this imagination, this self-perception of how wise we are, how great we are, he says, you don't even realize that these people are coming in They're slapping you in the face. They're taking advantage of you. They're exploiting you. And you have so much pride in how great you are, how wise you are, if you don't realize it really, you can fool. And so self-perception is a danger of judging things a worldly standing. The world says, this is wise. And so we say, well, this is what wisdom is. Let me be wise too. And that begins to destroy us. There's also the danger of self-pity. Chapter 12, verse 13. Paul says, for in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. The idea is that they've been beginning to pity themselves. Oh, how horrible it is. Paul doesn't charge us to preach because he's getting funds from other places. We must be an inferior church. He must think we're an inferior church. So on the one hand, they pump themselves up as being wise, but then they say, oh, well, we must be inferior because Paul has to take the support from other congregations. And we allow that self pity to creep in when we judge by worldly standards. We, we have to be able to pay this guy, and we've got to be able to pay him a, a great number of, of dollars. Otherwise, he's not as successful as a minister, and, and we must be an inferior person. Paul says, that's a world of standard. That's a world of way of looking at things. And again, chapter 12, verse 17 and 18. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you or any of those whom I have sent to you. Paul says, I haven't taken advantage of you, but there are some that would exploit you. And so we, and sometimes we come to ourselves good. And we say, we're just not as good as some of these other folks. There's a danger, a danger that exists when we follow things by the standard of the word. Paul says that he measures up himself as we begin to think about Paul's own expectations and goals as evangelists. He says he measures himself based on the criteria of true service God. 11 verse 21 following He says, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison, compared to those false apostles, those who claim to be apostles. He says, and, but whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I'm just as bold myself. Are they So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. A hint that maybe some of those who are claiming to be apostles were Judaized and teachers as Paul addressed them in other places. Verse 23, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane; I'm more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak. who is led into sin without my intense concern? For if I have to boast, I will boast to what pertains to my weakness that God, the God and Father of my Lord Jesus, he who bled is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus the Ethnarch under Artus, the king was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall. And so it escaped his hands. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, you have those guys in the church there at Corinth who are claiming to be apostles, saying, look how much we can demand. Look how dynamic we are as speakers. Certainly we're the ones you ought to be listening to. Paul says, that's judging by a worldly standard. If you want to know how serious I take the gospel message, recognize the length I'm willing to go to preach the truth being shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, sometimes going without food or water, all so I can preach the gospel message. Paul says, The ethnarch of Damascus even wanted to kill me. And I had to escape the city by being let down through a window in the wall in the basket. Paul's authority is attested by God's witness, and the things that Paul did, and the things that miraculously did with Paul. As he comes down in the chapter 12, this is both necessary, though it is not profitable. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do not wish to boast, I will not be foolish. For I will be speaking the truth. But if I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for the reason to keep me from exalting myself, there is given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, or of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for the power is perfected in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul says, look, guys, do you want to talk about who has the authority to speak? And then he begins to speak of himself, I believe, here, almost in the third person, to say, God lifted me up into a place of heaven, and I don't know if that was a physical ascension, or if it was a a spiritual vision I was having, but He brought me into a place where I heard words that men cannot even speak. God allowed me to see things and to hear things. He goes on to say, so I can serve Christ, so I can serve God. I can post about that, and brag about myself, look how great I am. He says, I'm not going to do that. He says, in fact, God has given me a thorn in the flesh to keep me from bragging about myself, boasting about myself. Paul says, if all you want is people boasting about yourself, I could do that. But I'm not going to. Let's look also here at verse 12. Chapter 12. I'll start in verse 11. He says, I've become foolish you yourselves compelled me, actually I should have been compelled or commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance, by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you for you this Paul says, Look at the miracles that God did among you through me. You know that I'm an apostle based on the miracles I've done you. We don't know what those miracles were that Paul did doing for him. But evidently he did signs and wonders inspired by God, enabled by God, in such a way that only an apostle could do those signs. And Paul says, That's what you need to recognize. am I speaking ability. not how dynamic I am, but in the substance of what I'm saying, is it from God or not? Look at the authority that God has given me. The miracles, the attestation, God's power. And look at those things. And know that I was something else. And so Paul then begins to speak about his goals as an evangelist. Chapter 10, verses 15 through 16. Again, he says, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that is uh, in uh, in your faith. Let me start that over. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So that, as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of an Paul's goal as an evangelist was not to recreate or build on the work that other men were doing. But to go and preach the gospel where the gospel had not been made. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about the fact that he wants to move beyond Rome and he wants to go to Spain and preach the gospel in Spain. We don't know if Paul ever got there not. But that was his goal. He wanted to go places where the gospel had never been preached so that he could preach to people for the first time the gospel of Jesus. That was his goal. That was his expectation. He wasn't there to build up the church at Corinth into some big mega church. Although he talks about the fact that if you grow, that encourages us. this that's not my standard for judging success. All wanted souls to be saved. And so there are left here for how we measure success. First, all, obviously, success is based on the charisma. Uh-uh. Success is based on the substance that the preacher or the one speaking speaks about. Is it accurately the word of God? If the gospel is taught, people will grow in their knowledge of God. Chapter the 10 verse 13 and they're going to mature their faith is going to build success is not based on the financial package that a speaker can pull in in our brotherhood do we ever judge the effectiveness of a preacher based on how much in demand he is used to be the case more than it is today used to every church had a gospel meeting in the fall in the springtime Uh, you know, there was a time in our brotherhood when that gospel meeting might be two weeks long. Now most churches don't even have gospel meetings. People don't come to gospel meetings. But the thought was, this guy's an awesome speaker. He gets calls to speak on the West Coast. He gets calls to speak on the uh, East Coast. He gets calls to speak in the North. He gets calls to speak in the West. This guy uh, can't even do local work anymore because he's so busy doing gospel meetings. And there would be some people that would look at a man like that and say, look how successful he is. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with a man having that ability and being able to do that and, and being successful. But you see, sometimes in our mindset we think, oh, that guy is great. But what Paul's saying here is that's not our measure of success. The measure of our success is are we preaching the truth? It's God's Word, and is God being honored. Sometimes we might be tempted to judge someone, even based on the size of the congregation. To acknowledge different variables that exist, to acknowledge God and what God's doing in a particular place. We need to be careful just because a person is blessed with dynamic abilities doesn't mean he is not effective. Merely that we should not boast simply because of these things. In other words, it's okay to acknowledge, hey, this guy's a dynamic, stupid. But we need to boast in what God has given that person. But really our boasting is to be in the fact that God's message is being spread and that people are responding to it and measure success based on the fact that the gospel is spoken. Paul says, like him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. We need to boast in what God has done. As a new church plant, we could take some of the attitudes that the church in Corinth apparently had, pitying themselves, are we inferior among the churches? Sometimes we look out and we see mega churches. Or new church plants from different places and different sources that are thriving. And We think, oh man, we should have a building by this time frame. We should have this many people by this time frame. You see that's looking at things from a worldly perspective. We need to be looking at things from a godly perspective. Are we preaching the gospel? Are we preaching the truth? Are we doing the things that we need to do to be out in the community? God will take care of all those other things. That's not the basis of our success. The basis of what defines us as being successful is simply, are we preaching the truth? Paul warned the church at Corinth not to get caught up in worldly standards. Because when you get caught up in worldly standards, you start to have self-pity. You start to be led away from the simplicity and the purity of Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ. You start to suffer from the bad self perception. Let's learn the lesson of Corinth. Not fall into those traps and build up worldly standards. But live by the standard of God's will. If you're here this morning and you need to respond to the gospel message by being united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, or you have other needs, won't you come? Let's together with standards.